0: Hey folks, it's your producer, Samantha, here. Just wanted to share a quick warning before we play this episode. This episode contains a detailed description of a sexual assault in the military, as well as the aftermath and continued harassment of the survivor. This may be difficult for some folks to listen to, so we wanted to give you a warning. We believe this is a powerful and important story and invite those who can tolerate to listen.
1: Hello and welcome to But Have You Considered Therapy, a podcast focused on mental health and social justice. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started, although myself and some of my guests are mental health professionals, uh in no way is this podcast intended to be a substitute for clinical mental health services. If you are in crisis and need assistance, please call 911 immediately. Additionally, since myself and some of my guests provide mental health services, pseudonyms may be used and last names may be avoided, the views expressed in this podcast belongs solely to the host and the guests and are not affiliated with any agency. Whew, that was a mouthful. Okay, <laughs> now please enjoy this week's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to But Have You Considered Therapy? Um, I'm here today. um, This is Mel, as usual, and I am here today um, with my guest, Fergie. um, And we're going to be kind of doing um, a special episode that is centered around um, Veterans Day. Um, It'll be Veterans Day when we release it. And it's kind of centered around veterans in general. So Fergie, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners.
0: Uh, okay. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Fergie. Um, I'm a UX/UI designer um, and a United States uh, Navy veteran
1: of uh, seven years. When did you um, When did you join the Navy? Uh, right after Right after high school, actually. Right after high school. Okay. And so you're in it for seven years. Um, and then, how long have you been out of the Navy? Since 2015. Okay. Um, what made you decide you wanted to kind of pursue that route?
0: Yeah. So, um, (laughs) I had huge dreams of becoming the next Mia Hamm. Um, and I was, (laughs) I was like so excited about, um, prospects of college and going and playing soccer, um, and being an Olympic gold medalist. Um, but the ships did not fall that way. Um, and so I think kind of at the end of summer, uh, when I graduated, I was just like, I don't want to stay in, in DC and in Virginia. Um, and I've, I did ROTC when I was in high school and I was always really fascinated with the structure and like the traveling. And, um, and so I kind of just went to the air force first and foremost and was like, I want to do this. And I want to do that. And I want to do something creative in a sense of creativity, or I really like combat photography. And I want to do this. And the guy was like, okay, but you know, you're going to be in a plane most of the time. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. Have
1: a nice day. Cause heights are not my thing. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah. So then I joined the Navy joined the Navy. Okay. Very good. Um, was it like, had anybody in your family done it? Was it anything like that? Or were you kind of the first one to to move Um, into that?
0: My sister, um, uh, tried to join the Marines, um, and things just didn't work out. Um, Mm -hmm. and then in my immediate family, I think I'm the first
1: person to actually go through it all the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so did it, um I don't really know a lot about the military despite <laughs> having two parents that were in the army and a partner that was in the air force I know very little maybe I should ask the people around me more questions about their past um but <laughs> would was 7 years like the natural end of your career or did it end um like how does that work
0: so you always um reenlist every reenlistment is for 4 years mm-hmm. so typically it's like four years. Okay, cool. That's kind of like your set and you like sit and think about yourself. Do I want to do another four years? Mm -hmm. And then you have people that are like, okay, I'll do another four years. Typically though, you'll see people do four years. You'll see a lot of people do between eight and 15. Mm. Um, and then you'll see the people that do 20 and 30 and, you know, stay there for the rest of their lives, which is great. Um, but
1: that's how that typically works. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so Virgie, obviously one of the reasons that we have you on this podcast um, is that we talk a lot about mental health and we talk a lot about um, things that impact mental health. And so I know that you were um, are a survivor of an assault that took place while you were enlisted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want you to, um, if you could, share kind of whatever detail you feel comfortable sharing about that. Um, certainly You don't have to get into you know the really specifics but if you can kind of tell us what that situation how that how it led up to it what happened after um i'd really appreciate that
0: yeah so um i think you know uh, what initially started it is um we were getting ready for a deployment um and Uh, it was back to back deployments. I think I had been home maybe a collective of like six months for the last three years. And we had, we were getting ready to get a gear up for another uh, deployment. But what um, for aircraft carriers, what you have to do is most of them are stationed in Virginia and then in San Diego. But what you do is you either go up the coast or down the coast to like get certain things looked at on your ship that are specific to, to where the, um, the businesses are, and they take a deeper dive and make sure that you're seat ready. So we had went down to, um, Jacksonville or Jacksonville, Florida, right? Yeah. I think that's right. That
1: sounds right. um, What? That sounds right. Sorry.
0: That sounds right. Um, and so we had went down there and, um, I had worked my butt off the last deployment to be like 21 and to have like all these pens and like basically to get overnight liberty because I wanted to celebrate my 21st birthday because we were on deployment Mm -hmm. um, at the time and we were actually out to sea we we weren't we hadn't uh, stopped anywhere yet. And um, so we just made plans to go out, obviously get drunk, um, and and do the sailor thing that sailors do. Mm -hmm. And um, I had went out with, uh, um, I was getting, I went out with a friend that was in a different division, and I started out with them. And then people that were in my division that I worked with every day, slowly trickled in because they had to work that day, and then they had the next day off. And so Mm -hmm. We all got hotel's room at the uh, hotel room at the same hotel. Everybody trickled in, and one of our friends, uh, their mom lived there, and so she got to take the PT Cruiser, and like uh, we all piled in there and started going bar hopping. Um, and things started off great. You know, everybody from the ship was in those three designated bars, so <laughs> we were all just out shooting the shit and having a good time, and it was great. And I think at the first bar. That's <laughs> I think about. It. I think I had like three shots of tequila and a, a, a drink that was like a blue drink, and then like I just was being me, being Fergie, and so we started having fun, having those drunk conversations. And uh, someone had like suggested like, "Hey, let's like not spend all our time here at at, at, at this bar. Let's go to the Irish bar." And so. At that time, um, we walked down. I remember that, and then we walked into the Irish bar. Someone—it was either either a live band, I'm gonna say, or the music was just really loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we <clears throat> sat and uh, were having conversations and discussions and um, having a really good time. And I remember like two of my supervisors, which were first class petty officers at the time. So just to give you some context, it's the highest enlisted rank uh, before you get to chief. So sure. it's like an E6. Um, and I was an E4 at the time. So I was a third class petty officer. <clears throat> so um, so we are sitting there and like I go to the bathroom. I make out with a girl and like <laughs> just doing the drunken stupor. <laughs> and that's the last thing I remember. And so then I wake up the next morning and my I'm like facing a wall and like I'm like hung over to hell and um the girls that I was out with that night from my unit from my um from my unit they were laughing and giggling and I was like okay well I'm in a safe space and things kind of just kept unfolding in that sense of like ha 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 I turned over my pants were ripped everything was really wet I didn't know if I had like peed on myself um not afraid to say that on this podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I I didn't know Mm -hmm. you know so um they like like looked at me with like a deer in the headlights look um I was very spontaneous when I was younger so (laughs) it didn't surprise me that they were looking at me that way um and and they were like do you remember what happened and i was just like well no like i wouldn't be asking and they were just like you know this happened and you had intercourse with these two dudes and we walked in it was just like a porno basically and i was like well that's not right (laughs) because everybody and their mother knows that i'm gay so Mm -hmm. um during the time don't ask don't tell I, i definitely was very vocal about how I identified and <clears throat> and so I was like well, okay so I sat up and I was just like well that's that's not right and uh and so the other people that I had left with that day earlier I had to go back with them because I signed out on the liberty log with them and so before that I went and I took a shower and like I examined myself and we're just not going to go in the details but it wasn't great mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of just let things slide, but as like you start coming into like your logic and like the reality of the situation, I was just like, well, fuck, that's really not right. Like, I don't know how else to say this. And, um, my first class, which was a woman, she like came and like noticed that my performance was like like going downhill I wasn't being engaged I wasn't asking to do these things I wasn't asking to like continue to level myself up and like basically my performance just stopped and I told her and in one of the girls that came was like laughing and she was like yeah can you believe that you know Fergie was doing this and this and like we just let her be like we walked in and saw and walked out and like wow she was just like well that's not right <laughs> and so that started the process of all of the legal. So NCIS got involved, which is um, Naval Investigation Criminal Service. I want to say, NCIS, whatever. Um, so they got involved and it just started this four-year nightmare of, wow. of an enlistment. And from that time, so... In military court, it's kind of like what you have to do. Like you go to a judge, and if like you get a like if you get a parking ticket or a speeding ticket, you go and you can appeal it. But if you don't, then you have to go back to like actual um, uh, court and like you know get your sentence there or, or so on and so forth. And so that's kind of how military works. But so they had to write up Article 32s was like you're being charged with this or you're being served with this. Um, and you need to lawyer up and this that and the third and so it's an aircraft carrier and people talk (laughs) and so um so after Jacksonville and kind of after that and after people um finding out kind of what happened uh people just really just started to like not mess with me and I was just like you know of people started to say things and like come up to me and harass me while we were eating and you know we were coming in out in and out of sea at the time because we wanted to test all the things out that people were fixing and so I couldn't really go anywhere <laughs> um, and so the harassment started then I got some hate mail and then I got people threatening me and I, I just couldn't go anywhere so I came to NCIS and I was like I just need to get out of my division Or like suicidal ideation is gonna kick in and I'm gonna kill myself. And so she was like, well, we don't want that. And so she kind of went to my commander, and the commander was a woman at the time. She was like, I don't see what the big deal is. She's the only cake decorator on the ship. We can't afford to lose her. And the NCIS lady was just like, look, I don't care what you think. Like this is a sailor, and she's more than just a workhorse Mm -hmm. and like I'm not gonna so she has the authority over anybody and so I got sent to a different command and again the harassment continued people continued to like mess with me and so I just told NCIS I was just like you need to get me off the ship because like legit I sat on the end of the ship uh, on a aircraft carrier you can like sit on like a the first level where the hangar bay is, and you can like sit and feel the waves crash up. It's still pretty high up there, but it's called the fantail. <clears throat> and you can sit out there and watch the sunset. It's really beautiful. But like all I was thinking about in that moment was just like, how the fuck am I going to survive? And like, how am I going to thrive when I've been violated tenfold? Um, mm-hmm. And so things started to pick up article 32s got written into actual court cases and um I had I had asked NCIS to like allow me to leave and so um when I when I left the command it was because I needed to get away from everybody and because proceedings started to pick up and so I couldn't be near the defendant and so they wouldn't move me to like a different command just because of like logistical reasons. And they just had so much going on in the sense of like, there was a lot of people involved in this and it was three separate trials. So each dude, there's three guys and each of them got their own separate article 32, their own separate, um, court proceedings, so on and so forth. And, um, You know, going through that process, I think one memory that continues to stick out in my mind is, like, we were going through that. I was off the ship in a different command, but I still had to report to the people that reported to my command. And every Friday we had, um, uh, like, uniform inspection. And you can't really do anything but, like, stand at attention in uniform inspection because they're inspecting you. And the guy that raped me was doing my uniform inspection. Oh, my God. And came behind me and was like, Fergus, you're out of regulations. And, like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't say anything. And then, like, that was from behind. And then they come and check the front of your uniform. And, again, he just, like, came and, like, whispered in my ear. And he was like, if you fucking move, I will kill you. And I was just like... Okay. (laughs) So this is not working. And so I told, um, I told them and, and I told NCIS and I was like, look, I don't, I don't care what you have to do, but like, you need to like move me. And so they were like, okay, we really need to change your duty stations because he's not only doing it to you, but he's doing it to the other people that were involved like he's calling them and doing that and so they got a restraining order and i was like no that's that's not going to do it because i still have to report to this dude like (laughs) what are we not connecting here
1: yeah yeah
0: and so they were like okay well we'll give you money and we'll move you all the way to washington state and i was like cool cool packed my scion up i was like bye bon voyage this is a vacation to me and um and at that time, like so many habits and so many things had started in mm-hmm. like that layer of the onion and of like self-worth and just was really damaged, mm-hmm. like to a T, to, a tea, to mm-hmm. like I didn't have any. Um, and so <clears throat> I went to, to um, Naval Base Kitsap, which is in Washington State. Um, And I still had to fly back and forth. So every six months I was coming from Washington to Virginia doing these court cases. At the end of all of this, one got found guilty. One um, got sentenced to, I think, two years, but got out. Uh, for good conduct and then also got his retirement back. So like nobody got actually prosecuted for the crimes that they did. And what is nice about the military and what they did with the special sexual assault victims unit is that even when you get out of service, you know where your um, uh, uh, perpetrator is at. Yeah, perpetrator, thank you, Mm -hmm. is at all times. So Mm when I moved to, when I moved from Seattle and after college, um, from Seattle to Chicago, they updated me and they update them. And so, so on and so forth. But when I moved to Texas, uh, which was like a year and a half ago, I got, um, like an email from the Veterans service committee and of, uh, internal affairs and stuff like for the sexual assault unit. they were like, Hey, you're within like 15 miles of one year perpetrator. And I was like, Hold up! Oh. <laughs> I was like, "Fuck." So, I haven't ran into him yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, I wanted to do. I could have saw. I could have seen myself at the time do twenty years. Um, but I was also in during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I was also going through that proceeding during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So it was like. You had the prosecutor is like, what do you mean? You've really never had sex with a man? Does that are you insinuating that you're gay? And like, oh my god! It was like right before Don't Ask, Don't Tell got repealed, and like once it did, I told my I told my um, uh, committee that was on my case. I was like, I'm I'm gay. If you don't know that I'm gay, (laughs) I'm gay. (laughs) And so (laughs) the officer, she was like, Oh, I know. (laughs) So yeah, there was some camaraderie in that. Yeah. um yeah and so yeah that was pretty much my military service yeah. um from like 2009 to 2015 i i dealt with all of that so uh
1: yeah. well first of all thank you so much for sharing that with us i know you've probably had to share it more times than you would ever want to and <laughs> i really appreciate you um Talking about it with us because, um, this is such a problem. You know, this is such a problem. I mean, we just recently had, um, you know, the murder of Vanessa Gian in Fort Hood, that mm-hmm. was motivated by, by sexual violence and by, um, yeah. So, this is something that comes up again and again and is extraordinarily prevalent, especially in the military. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like from your perspective as someone who's actually in the military, like what what specifically about military culture, like really exacerbates and like and creates these this this kind of situation where a the the likelihood of assault is really is high, um, and b where like the way that it's handled, the sort of, you know, the camaraderie of the people who are kind of like banding together to support the perpetrator. Like, what do you think kind of it is about military culture that creates that specific situation? Mm
0: -hmm. Toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. uh, is one key factor. Yeah. Good old boys club. Mm Mm-hmm. And girls, because some girls do contribute to that. Um, I'm just going to say good old boys system, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people contribute to it. I don't want to single out a gender. Um, Toxic masculinity, good old boys. And it's just like, when you get in the military, and I think, and this is what the disconnect between like civilian and military, and that's why it's so hard to transition, is that the military it's do 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 and find out how to do it because you are the lines of defense whereas in a civilian sense it's like no we actually collaborate more on how to efficiently and effectively solve problems Mm -hmm. without just pointing the fingers and say hey you lead and you do this, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, for every action, there's like an equal reaction Mm -hmm. within uh, the civilian side. And in the military, it's like, there's nothing, there's no individualism because you're a team and there's a sense of like, you need to suck it up and deal with it. Why did you sign your life away to the government? And it's, it's a defense it's a defense system for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those things, if I were to say, contribute to heightened, heightened egos and untouchable leadership, uh, fear-based leadership. Um, A lot of people would assume that, you know, putting on a uniform is a, is a way of saying this is a, a great person. When it's just a
1: piece of clothing, you are right. who you are fundamentally. Right, right. Um, I want to talk a little bit. I want to make sure we talk about kind of what your recovery has looked like, um, mm-hmm. because I know that kind of before this, you were saying that you've done a lot of work to process this, and that's why you're able to talk about it clearly. And, um, but I also want to make sure that we talk about. Um, You know, folks who are in the military in general um, may leave the military with some traumatic experiences, um, Mm -hmm. whether they are similar to yours or being in combat, just being really far from home, being, you know, all these kind of different ways that um, folks in the military can experience trauma. Um, What would you recommend for those of us who don't have military experience, how best to support Um, maybe friends and family who are coming home from the military or who are still struggling with their experience there?
0: Mm. So I would say, you know, the closest person you're going to have as an ally is a military spouse, right? Mm. But I say that in... We... I say a lot of us because sometimes I still do this and I'm not afraid to say it, but we, we look at civilians um, in a sense of like, you owe me this. When I get out of the military, you owe me this. You owe me the, you should be actually worship. You should worship the ground that I work a walk on Mm. because I served my country. When in hindsight, civilians don't own us, owe us shit. And Mm. It's even that way in the workforce too. Like, if I tell you that I'm a veteran, what I'm telling you and what I'm inviting you into is a part of my life, right? It's not who I am today, but it makes up a big portion of who I am. And a lot of veterans lean, continue to lean towards the community because it's familiar and because because it is familiar and because, you know, it's easier to go towards familiar familiarity because there's no fear there. And there's no um, there's no vulnerability in that because y'all come from the same situation. And when it comes to us kind of saying, well, the disconnect is that you don't understand. Well, nine times out of 10, they're asking reasons to understand, but you can't make someone feel in a sense, what you went through, because it's not the same experience. You're telling them the aftermath. You can't pick somebody up and mentally put them in your brain to where you were in Iraq because they won't understand. But at the same time, you have to respect that when you do tell us or when we do tell you and that exchange happens, that you're going to get empathy in a sense of like that's my support for you because I'm here to listen, even if I don't understand.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's really helpful. Um, so tell us a little bit, I think we're probably fairly close to wrapping up. Um, but I definitely want to talk a little bit about what the recovery has looked like for you for this. Um, What, what kind of, if you went to therapy, if you did any other kind of practices, like what, what helped you um, get to a place where you felt where you are now?
0: Yeah. So um, I was married at one point in my life um, and that marriage taught me to, um, uh, I think that marriage taught me in hindsight to not depend on people to fix me. Um, Mm -hmm. I was hiding behind that marriage. And I was asking my spouse at the time to fix me and to fix all my problems. Um, And I wasn't ready to face them because uh, it's, it's, I don't know what that is, but it just is what it was at the time. And then I like really had to sit down and take a look and we got a divorce and I was going through that. And um, I, I tried to commit suicide and like, I just sat with myself and I was like, okay, I can't keep continuing to do this because like the person I am in in all of my being is like Fergie is just a person that is like, loves everybody. One is too trusting and just wants to continue to create a space for people, period, no matter what. And wants to live, um, live a full life through the experiences of, of helping other people. And so, and art, <laughs> And so, um, I checked myself in to an inpatient unit through the VA and that was the start of my journey. And then I got really big into meditation and I got really big, big into yoga and I got really big into building toolkits from the C- CBT therapy. Mm-hmm. And so that is for, that was four years in, in the making and doing, and doing the work and, and peeling back those onions. And I still go to therapy today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because you know the work is never done. We're you know, but, but I am on a better
1: journey of of accepting my full self. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's great. Did you find? Um, I've been really particularly interested in kind of the like body work modalities recently, and sort of the the way that um, they help us get in tune with with our bodies and how our bodies are feeling and the messages our bodies can tell us. Did you feel? I would imagine that especially after an assault on the body. Um, did you find that yoga and kind of like bringing that awareness back into your body was, was particularly healing in that way? Is that what drew you to yoga or was it just kind of like, I'm looking for a mindfulness practice?
0: Um, I actually got introduced to yoga when I signed up for a exploring myself sexually retreat. mm mm-hmm. And I know this sounds weird and I'm not going to go too much into detail, but in that, that space, man, so many walls were broken down through Mm. doing yoga naked actually in front Mm. of people, but also like the power of writing on your body with like a, it wasn't permanent markers, but writing on your body and just sitting there and being still and allowing this person who doesn't know you to sit and sit with you and like, your eyes are closed, but they're like, I'm fully taking in who you are. My eyes are not closed. I'm looking at you is like such a like exhilarating uh, non-sexual, but kind of sexual like experience that I couldn't, I, I can't tell you every feeling that I was feeling, but when that was done, I was just like, Oh my God. Oh, Hey girl. How, Oh, look at you. (laughs) Like, you know, so, um, that's, that's, that's how I got introduced to yoga.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's that kind of uh, entering into something like that. Isn't like weird at all to me, especially, I mean, I think anybody could probably benefit from getting to know themselves sexually, but I would imagine too, that like especially after experience a sexual violation, like it's so crucial to sort of get back in touch with like pleasure and feeling like comfortable in my body and feeling comfortable with touch and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that there are probably a lot of people who have experienced sexual trauma that have not had that experience of kind of getting back in touch with like What feels good and what they like and what you know, um, what they're interested in sexually, and I I think that's just really cool that you that you went into that practice with an open mind and that it was so meaningful for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. That's awesome. Um, Well, Fergie, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been, um, again, I really want to just say, you know, we really appreciate you talking about this about such an important topic, bringing awareness to the fact that you know this is something that happens to people. And this is something, um, that we really want to continue to push back against. Um, and I wanted to ask you, are there, um, any like nonprofits, um, or, um, charity resources or anything like that that you, um, recommend to people maybe close to this or maybe not just something else, another organization that you really like.
0: Yeah. So, um, one of my really good friends Lindsay church, if you have a chance to look her up she's a navy veteran too. Um, she started a nonprofit organization called minority veterans of America. Mm-hmm. Fantastic grassroots for any and every veteran, um, but she serves. A very vulnerable population um statistically when you look at military sexual trauma and the data around it and uh, what uh subgroups it it takes a hold of um in populations if you wouldn't <laughs> it takes a hold of quickly mm-hmm. um but she she is doing the work and laying the groundwork to have voices like vanessa's for sure be heard um and and those that suffer from military sexual trauma but outside of that umbrella she does uh things for transgender rights within the military things for confirming surgeries that the va needs to come around and do (laughs) and 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 stuff like that so um if i were to say any nonprofit organization that i have been proud to be a part of and also am so proud of is is that organization Mm -hmm. um and then the and then student veterans of america is educationally based it helps veterans who uh, nine times out of ten transition from um military t- to a college uh, institution. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of work around um, who are you outside of uniform and who do you want to be as a scholar and what do you want to learn? How do you want to lead now outside of that? They do a lot of, a lot of, of work with um, Fortune 500 companies, uh, Google, all of them. Um, and they, and they do a lot of work around education, but also accepting who you are as a veteran and you're just, you're more
1: than that. So mm-hmm. those two organizations. Very cool. Thank you. Well, thank you again yeah. so much for being on this podcast. Um, for those of you who are listening, please subscribe, rate and review. We're on Apple podcasts, Spotify. Ooh, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Podomatic, PodChaser—pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Consider Therapy. We're on Twitter at ConsiderCast, and we're on Facebook.com/slash Consider Therapy. Um, all right, this is Mel and Fergie signing off. Bye.